Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have all of you with us on this uh, Sunday after Easter, as Daryl said earlier. And uh, we're excited about a lot of the things that are going on, the new series that we're starting, and and the announcement that Daryl started to make earlier, and I and I put the kibosh on it because uh, I wanted to announce it, is uh, about the fourth our, our fourth annual Great Day of Service. And the Great Day of Service is something we've been doing over the past three years. And basically what we do is we meet here, and then we go out and serve. And it's a great day of service. You see why we named it that? Um, the Great Day of Service, it really is an awesome opportunity for our community to come together and to serve somewhere in the community for a short period of time. We know that you all have busy schedules. We know that you all are doing many different things and volunteer in different ways. And, and we just wanted to take a day where you could come and maybe go down to uh, Boys Town, downtown uh, San Antonio, and serve for three hours doing stuff there. Or maybe go uh, a little further downtown San Antonio with Blood and Fire Ministries and do some things over there. Or Habitat. We are once again building a Habitat home. Um, that's a great Sunday to work with Habitat or our very own Hope Center that uh, works back in F-103, that classroom right here attached to the CLC. I can't tell you the amount of people that we've had coming through the Hope Center this year. I'm sure you understand why. Um, we are in a down economic time. I know that's not any news to, to you out there. And it is a time where there is greater need. And so we have seen a lot more people coming to the Hope Center, coming to the church for help, for assistance in many different ways. And one of the ways that we help is through emergency food needs. And our pantry is kind of bare right now. Um, and so that is one of the things we'll be doing is a foot dash for food, uh, getting out there and trying to, to get some food to restock the pantry. There's a bunch of different opportunities. The sheets uh, are scattered throughout. If you have any questions about it, it's May 2nd, meet here at 8.15, we'll do a prayer with some donuts and stuff like that, and then we'll, everybody will scatter, and you'll serve from 9 to noon, and then you have the rest of the day to yourself. Uh, if you want to hang out longer and serve longer at your respective spot, awesome. Uh, that's just throwing it out there for you. So if you would, uh, just sign up in the parlor uh, if you feel inclined to do so. It's great to do with a Sunday school class, a small group, your family or, even better, to just come on your own and serve somewhere that interests you and meet the community, meet the people that come here. Remember a few weeks ago I made a challenge to let's not just be faces, let's actually be people in here and, and know one another, and this is a great opportunity to do so. So the Great Day Service, if you have questions about it, please see me or Carrie Spielhagen, who is the, uh, the blonde lady who will be in the, in the parlor, and uh, she's really loud. You cannot miss her. Aren't you? <laughs> Uh, so today we begin a new series entitled The Great Commitment, TGC. And you might be, I don't know, offended by, uh, by our series graphic. You might question our series graphic. What the heck is that up there? Some of you may have no idea what that is supposed to be. It's a tattoo on the back of a guy's head. A tat for my youth in the front. What up, Terrell? Um, and the reason that it's there is because TGC, in our eyes, is a radical change in the way that we will live. Now, the Jesus way that we just finished is really the same series. But now we're going to ask you to do something about it. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to take it a little deeper and take it a little further. And at the end of it, we're going to ask you to make 
a commitment. The great commitment. We are going to ask you to sign a card and to say, and if you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you want to live your life like Christ, and if you want to make this commitment to follow the great commandment, then we're going to ask you to sign the card and move forward. And then there will be stuff coming in the fall. This is a radical way to change in the way you live your life. But on top of it, it's a radical way in which the church is going. This is the direction that the church will be headed for who knows how long. Until Jesus comes back or David Manitsky moves away. Whichever one comes first. Nobody knows. So that's what it is. But today, you've got to start at the bottom level. You've you got to start with the basics if you want to get to the deepness of the great commitment. So you've got to start with salvation. And honestly, when I was thinking about this and I was preparing for this Sunday, I wanted to tell John just to hit play and play last week's sermon. Not because it was just, it, it was awesome and it wasn't me, it was Rob Bell stuff, so that's why it was just awesome. Um, but because it's essentially the same stuff that I'm going to be talking about today. And so it's like rerun. But I was thinking about it and you can't hear this enough, really. This is the kind of message that you can't just hear one time. You've got to hear it over and over again. Even if you've been a believer and you've given your life to Christ years and years ago, it's good to hear these words. It's good to remind yourself of what it is like to be set free. So here we go, Acts chapter 16. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 16. And you know, I always say that if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 16 and like, five, six of you do so. The reason I say that and the reason we don't always put it up on the screen is because I want to encourage you to have your Bible. I want to encourage you to get your Bible, get a Bible in your hands, to open it up, to feel the Word of God. It is something to look at it. I'm a visual person by any stretch of the imagination. We are a visual generation and we like to see things and we like to be that multimedia presence. But there's something about having the Word of God in your hands. There's something about having the actual text in your hand and being able to, if you want to write a note, in your Bible, Crocker was wrong on this. I don't believe this. Or, wow, I've never seen it this way. Or, God just spoke to me through this scripture. Or, I need to read this again. Or, dog ear the pages. Something like that. I encourage you to do that. That's why I always say, if you have your Bibles, open up to chapter 16. Maybe I should just say, open your Bible up to chapter 16. You no longer have an option. <laughs> this is my classroom. Just kidding. Sorry, God. <clears throat> um, uh, chapter 16. Now this is, uh, Paul and Silas are on this missionary journey and they're traveling through and, you know, Paul has this amazing ability to, uh, you know, let God work through him. And so he was letting God work through him and he healed this little girl. Problem is this little girl was important to this important Roman. He, she was making him a lot of money. So when Paul heals this little girl and, and stops that ability for her to make money for this guy, he got a little perturbed. And at verse 20, this is where we pick up. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So he took no chances, but put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, 
and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors flew open, and the chains fell off every prisoner. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, Don't do it! We are all here. Trembling with fear, the jailer called for lights, ran to the dungeon, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with your entire household. Then they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. If you're a jailer, if you're a part of the Roman army, and you are ordered to take care of a jail, then all the people that are in this jail, in this prison, are under your care. If one of them should escape, you are now responsible. It's not like Harrison Ford and the Fugitive, where you launch out under this big manhunt. It's you take this person's place in their trial. You go to jail in their place. You get executed in their place. It's a big deal. And so you can imagine what the jailer must have been thinking when he wakes up and finds the situation as it is. But think about it. Have, have anyone, any, anybody in here been through an earthquake? Anyone? Raise your hand. A couple of you. Yeah. I, I went to high school in uh, the San Francisco area. And... We were there, I was in high school in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, and you might remember that there was an earthquake in 1989 known as the World Series quake because it happened during the World Series. It was the San Francisco Giants against the Oakland A's. It was the Bay Series. Nobody in the rest of the country country cared, but it was our series, and the World Series was there. It was at Candlestick Park where the Giants were playing at the time, and they were doing the pregame stuff. Uh, so I think it was like Bob Costas or somebody, one of those guys who always shows up at the big moment. You're like, where is he? Is he in a closet somewhere? Is he like actually frozen? And then they bring him out for the Olympics. Um, but so there he is, and he's doing this World Series pregame stuff, and, and then the whole world starts to shake. Now, I was there. I was in high school. I was upstairs in my parents' bedroom, and I was laying down. They had a little sitting area, um, and I was laying down in the sitting area, and I had the television on, and I was slipping back and forth between pregame and the Brady Bunch. Um, what? Like y'all didn't watch the Brady Bunch? Come on. You know, so I'm watching the Brady Bunch really more than the pregame. Uh, and, and so just sitting there watching the Brady Bunch, you know, great episode uh, where something, somebody misunderstood what somebody else was doing. You remember that episode? Sorry. Um, and, and so I'm watching the Brady Bunch, and all of a sudden the world just starts shaking. Just, I mean, just huge thing. It lasted for just under a minute, I believe. Actually, probably even less than that. But it felt like forever. I immediately got up. I could hear my mom screaming downstairs. I run out of their room, kind of just like this, running out of their room. And we had this big uh, kind of staircase that kind of curved up. And I run to the stairs, and I start going down the stairs. And and halfway down the stairs, we had this uh, landing area that uh, this vase was on. The vase is about four feet tall. It's from some Chinese dynasty type thing. It's been in my family apparently for generations. Um, It came from my grandmother to my mother. In fact, uh, this vase to tell you a little history behind the vase of why I almost pushed it on the way down, is when it was at my grandparents' house, my brother and I had to walk by the vase like this, hands in our pockets, because that vase was more important than us, basically. 
And so we all want to, to be willed that vase so that we can then destroy it. Um, so we're running down, and this vase is just like this. And I get to the bottom of the stairs, and the grandfather clock is going like this, back and forth, back and forth. And my mom yells, get in a doorway, you know, because I don't know if you've ever had earthquake training, but if there's an earthquake, you get in a doorway because the door jam is going to save you if the house falls down, you know. <laughs> Essentially, that's the thing is that is a really strong. It's like, remember, uh, we lived in Lubbock and remember uh, tornado warnings and drills like that. Get on your hands and knees and put your hands over the back of your neck. Really? Because that's going to help if the school's blown away. But it makes you feel better. Um, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, yeah, it was like nuclear bombs. You had to get under the desk. Like that was going to help. Um, <laughs> so she's yelling, get under the doorway. And I get in the, you know, I, I find a doorway and I get in the doorway and then just pff, silence. It all stops. Just silence. I mean, nothing from neighborhood, nothing. Eerie. So we let's get outside, you know, because gas, you know. And so we, so we run outside and. Uh, look over to my dog. We had a dog, uh, a basset hound named Cleo, and she's just laying there. I was like, "Oh, Cleo's dead!" Well, slept through the whole thing. Um, you know, dogs are supposed to warn you of this. You know, it's like dogs have this uncanny ability to know before it happens. Asleep, slept through the whole thing. She was blind. She was old, blind, and deaf at the time. So, you know, whatever. she wakes up and comes over. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, can I get a treat? Uh, and so, but it was just this weird feeling. It was a weird feeling, and I just felt so weird inside. I'd been through earthquakes before, you know, five-point-something here and there. You know, we'd been at school, and it happened. And, you know, people in the Northeast had snow days, earthquake days. You know, woo no school, let's go surfing. Um, <clears throat> I'm not a surfer. But, you know, we'd, we'd get out, and it was just kind of one of those things you lived with. But this was big. This was big. I don't, you, I don't know if you remember the news coverage afterwards. All of the things that happened, all of the things that, that just went catastrophically wrong. A friend of mine's father was on the Cypress structure, which was that double-decker bridge that was going through Oakland. And as soon as it started shaking, he felt like he had a flat tire is what he assumed. And he was at an exit, and he got off, and in his rearview mirror, he saw a pancake. Dude. It touched all of us. Everybody who was living there was affected in some way. It was amazing. Now, you're a jailer. You're in charge of a group of criminals. Paul and Silas were in that deepest part of the dungeon because of what God was doing through them. But there were other people in there that were probably murderers, rapists, thieves. I mean, there were some bad people in there. You're in charge of all these people. You wake up after the earth is moving and shaking. The doors are open to the prisons. You're going to be freaked out. Just trembling with fear, he goes and he throws himself down on the ground before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? Now you could think that he's saying, what must I do to keep you in here so that they don't come for me? What kind of deal can we work out so that you stay in here. But I think what he's seeing is he's seeing something different in Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas weren't those cutthroat people. They, they were guys who were doing God's work. And he had heard them from the time they were there singing songs to God and praises to God. And there was something special about these two men. There was something different about them. It says the other prisoners were listening. 
The other prisoners didn't leave either. There was something going on with these two guys. And the jailer recognized that. And he says, what do I have to do to get that kind of peace? So he, he was the jailer. He could come and go from the prison whenever he wanted. But truly, he was a prisoner. He was a prisoner because he didn't have a life of freedom. Because he had a life of fear. Worrying about what would happen if. What's going to happen if the Roman officials or the people above me find out this? What's going to happen if I fail? He had never experienced salvation. He had never known peace like Paul and Silas knew. And like Paul and Silas were offering. And so he goes to them and he says, how do I get that? You know, we all have those moments in our life where we, where we find ourselves in chains. Where we find ourselves in a prison of whatever form it is. Casey came up and she said she found herself in this prison of distrust that she didn't even realize she put herself in. We all have these things that we're afraid of and that come up from time to time. You know, the fear of rejection is a big one, isn't it? Most of us really want to be liked. Most of us really want to be appreciated and, and known and thought well of. I mean, I, I suffer that from time to time when I come up here and I, and I deliver my message because I want you to like it. <laughs> Seems silly, doesn't it? But there are times when I get up here and I put it on myself and it becomes about me and this, instead of about God and about you. And, and I just say, I hope you like this. Laugh at my jokes. That's why I love when Chris is here because he always laughs at my jokes. But there are times when I do that and I feel myself and I, and I can sense it when I'm done and I get down. I'm like, wow, I really wasn't letting God come through me today because I was more concerned about myself. I put myself in a prison and I wasn't able to live more free. That fear of, I mean, today watching that video, is that really what I look like and sound like? Oh my gosh. You know, I, how do you listen? I hate listening to myself. I hate it. I don't know if any of you have an opportunity, like you call yourself and you leave a voicemail. Don't you hate listening to yourself? Yeah, nobody likes listening to themselves. And so when I see that, you know, at 9.30 and 11, I mean, at 11, I kind of had my head down. And, you know, he looked over to me. He goes, that's you. And I'm like, I realize that that's me. Thank you for pointing that out, Mr. Obvious. And, you know, I'm just like, oh, I hope they liked it find myself sometimes falling into that prison. Or maybe it's the, the fear of the past that gets me and I just jump into this prison of the past and the things that I've, boy, I've been there a lot. The things that I've done or maybe the things that I haven't done and that I feel guilty about and I feel I condemn myself for and I just start clamping on these chains and these shackles and these balls and I just throw myself into this prison. And all the while... Those doors have been opened and those chains have been loosed. All the while, I have freedom in my life because Jesus Christ assured it. That's what salvation is. It's moving beyond those things that bind you into a life of peace. And so how do you do it? What does Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
The problem here is the word believe. The problem is the word believe. Not because it's not an appropriate word, but because we've missed something in taking it from Hebrew to Greek to English. It's lost some of its power. Because it's not just believe. I I believe the children are our future. Thank you, Chris. (laughs) Teach them well. Believing something is different than believing it. You know, I believe that Jesus, because some of you in here today believe in Jesus Christ. But that's it. You believe. You stop here. You get that knowledge and you're like, yeah, I believe. I believe that he lived. I believe. But what Paul is talking about is something more intense than just belief. It's belief. It's owning it. It's belief so much so that it changes who you are. It's belief in Jesus Christ so great that you're a different person. Last week I talked about that. When you believe in Jesus Christ and you accept that gift of salvation, then you no longer are who you once were. You're a new person. A new person created in God's image, constantly being perfected and sanctified. That's what this belief that he's talking about is. He's not telling the jailer just, okay, here's the deal. Here's the story. Just believe it and you'll be fine and go about your merry business. He's saying, here's the deal. Here's what happened. What does it say? They went to his house and shared the word of the Lord with his family. This is what it's about. Your life is no longer the same. You may still be a jailer, but you're not the same jailer that you once were. You're a jailer who has the love of Jesus Christ inside of him, who has the boundless freedom that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're a new man. That's what salvation is. It's about belief. Truly, deeply, to the very core and marrow of who you are, that Jesus Christ dwells and resides it doesn't mean that you're not going to experience pain. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have suffering in your life. In fact, truly and honestly, you might, you might have more. But you have hope. You have peace. Let me tell you, I've experienced life two ways. I've experienced life in that prison with just a belief of Jesus Christ, and I've experienced life outside of it. I'm not going back. I am not going back. The worship team's going to come up right now. And I know we have a lot of recovering Baptists in here. You're healed. And you might have grown up with the altar call. And you might have grown up with a, uh, a praise team playing a song. And continually playing the song until somebody walks down that aisle and gives their life to Jesus. And they keep going and going until somebody says, hey, Kevin, it's your turn. We got to get the lubies. Go accept Christ again. We're not going to do that here. But they're going to sing Amazing Grace in just a second. And it's a time of reflection and a time of just thinking about this belief business. 
Do you believe it or do you believe it? Do you just know Jesus Christ or do you have Jesus Christ inside of you? That it has changed who you are as a person. And if you're not on that second part, come talk to us. Talk to the prayer team that will be up here. Come talk to me. Talk to one of these people after the service. Anybody in the back, talk to one of us. And look, if you don't want to do it today, for some reason, call me tomorrow. Email me. Do something. Make a step closer to that belief in changing who you are. Because if you're going to answer the call to the great commitment, you've got to start here. You've got to have Jesus Christ so deep inside of you that you are no longer who you once were. That is belief in Jesus Christ.